Hello and welcome to the Aractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News Team. So Gerardo, this is our last podcast before the last summer break. Last podcast, last podcast. I know how you, you, you need to keep the cliffhanger. So, oh, right. so you, you, say, should, you shouldn't mention that there could be a, a new season of the podcast. It is the last podcast. You know. Interesting. It's quite clickbaity, <laughs> but okay. So it's the last podcast before the summer break. How's that? Is that better? Uh, yeah. And, and, and we're not sure about, um, you know, if there would be something after beyond the summer break. So let's put it like this. <laughs> what? In general, not, not only for the agri wow. podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is the first tap. Not only for the podcast, what, just the whole hub's going to fold after summer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I mean, not probably. Uh, could probably. be. You, you'll, never, you'll never know. <laughs> okay, well, this is news to me and to you, the listeners. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Well, I was Don't thinking, take things for granted. Uh, this is our message uh, to our listeners. It's true. In this wild year, you can't take anything for granted, can you? That's just why you've got to listen to the podcast every week and make the most of it. <laughs> um, you should have listened to, because, I mean, we don't know if there would be... No, you I'm still joking. can listen. You can go back and listen to all the archives and have relive all the fun all over again. How many? 41 episodes? No, 40. You know, I, you know I've lost track. I am not sure. The, the, the first season was uh, 27, if I remember correctly. How do you remember that? Okay, yeah. Uh, that and, uh, but, but because we started in March, so the second season was a bit longer. It seems that in total, I have a figure here for the total number of podcasts we've published. Do you want to guess? I have a is? figure. You're, ju- you're, just, you're just looking at the website. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> but you don't have it in front of you, do you? No. Yeah, all right. So what do you think it is? I, I came I came here naked today, so naked in Gosh, the ten, that's, in the a, that's a bit too much information to be honest, Gerardo. <laughs> in the sense, in the sense of um, I would just recommend that you stop. Doing yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get back to the numbers. How many? How many do you think we published? Forty-one. No, forty. This is the first. The, what, in to- yeah. No total, total. Not this. Not this season. Uh, 50, uh, 57. Not bad, it's not a bad guess. It's actually 68. 68? Whoa, that's a lot. Whoa. That's a lot. I know. Imagine the day that we break our 100th episode. 100th, 100th. We say that. It's going to be very exciting. And so we thought, in this spirit of, you know, being the last podcast before summer, potentially ever, if, <laughs> if you're asking Gerardo, that we would have a little uh, reflection over the last year, um, or at least this over, over the season. Um, when did we start this season? Last September. September. And everything that's happened, the school year. <laughs> the school year. Exactly. Um, and there, it was a pretty big year. I mean, there was a lot going on this year, but I guess obviously, you know, it goes without saying that one of the biggest things this year was all to do with the cap, the resolution of the cap, sealing of a deal, finally on the EU's farming subsidy programme, the Common Agricultural Policy. And, you know, I think as we you know we were approaching this and we knew it was coming we had the hashtag we had the final cap down hashtag and we were covering it all the time and and i was a bit worried that 
well, not worried exactly, but, you know, that it was going to be a bit, almost a bit sad when the, the deal was sealed. But never fear, because I've realized very much the fun is not over. And I think something we've seen this year with the cap is that the cap has become cool this year, Gerardo. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know if you remember when we wrote our uh, look ahead, which is something that we normally write at the beginning of the year. That's hmm. your active, and we mention uh, we actually use uh, the song of uh, Al Stewart as a reference, the year of the cat, and it becomes the the year oh, yeah. of the calf. And oh, yeah. we already realized that, so basically, that uh, would have been uh, finally cool again. Um, again, the, was it again, ever cool? Yeah, yeah. Ah, but, it's well, definitely cool now. You, no, but I mean, uh, it was actually quite cool or main, mainstream at the um, during the, the plenary vote uh, when the European mm. Parliament uh, in yeah. uh, back in October um, voted on the mandate and I remember a lot of uh, even coverage on uh, mainstream media outlet not only That's from true. us who are more sp- specialized in in agriculture so we were there before it was cool I would just like to point out yeah but... yeah yeah you know, that's, that's true. Fun. That's true. That's a, that's a good um, <laughs> shout. Slash, did we make it cool? I don't know. I'm just going to leave that we, question hanging. It's we, I think we gave uh, our contribution. Hmm. Uh, no, I'm joking. I mean. <laughs> well, it's definitely, either way, it's definitely firmly in public consciousness now, which I think means that negotiators and everything that happens on the cap, there's a different, there's a different pressure. It's a different approach, I think, now, um, different considerations that need to be taken into account. We've even got, you know, the likes of Greta Thunberg and, um, you know, we have the whole withdraw the cap movement and everything. It's definitely... It is like... In the sense that, I mean, she doesn't like cap that much. No, but what I mean is it's, it's in discussion. People are talking about the cap and it's adding an interesting you know, an interesting angle to everything that's happening. We're obviously, coming up, we've an, got... An interesting flavour. And Exactly, an interesting flavour, yeah. And obviously, we've got... The fun is actually not over. We've got the strategic plans coming up, the drafts of which are due at the end of this year. And already, there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure on this. I mean, I saw even just today, um, lots of kind of campaigning and, and criticism coming from Portugal over there strategic plan there was 100 academics and different 14 i think uh, environmental ngos that were criticizing the plan there's already a lot of pressure and a lot of movement on this so i think it's gonna be a really interesting topic as we approach the end of this year so something to which watch is, out for which is why we're we're moving our focus on you know from brussels to the capitals mm. uh in our uh, forthcoming coverage of uh, the common agricultural policy implementation. It's true that there's still one step uh, to be done before That's the true. the formal approval of the um, subsidy, pro- the new subsidy program for farmers, uh, which is actually scheduled for November. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it might be subject to change. In, October, in November. October, November. Yeah, it could be. Either the the plenary in October, uh, if I remember correctly, there are two plenaries in October, two plenaries, uh, or uh, the one early uh, November. But again, um, 
the, the, the governments, the national governments are already, and of course the agriculture ministry of uh, the 27 member states are already uh, in the process of drafting their uh, strategic plans. Um, and, and as you said, it's, it's already uh, a, a um, topic of debate in the public opinion uh, because, of course, strategic plan, just to mention one aspect, the member states will put in practice their ambition in uh, in uh, moving toward a more sustainable food system uh, with, for, for instance, with the uh, environmental conditionality. So the eco-scheme, they, they will basically select the eco-scheme that they want to put in practice in their strategic plan. The commission already gave some suggestions. Uh, there are... Uh, in, in the coming days, you, we will we will uh, have uh, a new uh, cap tracker, which will be more focused on the implementation and so on the national strategic plan. So you you can have a a, a look or a glimpse at, at uh, of of you know uh, what are the suggestions of the commission and what will be uh, the um, practices that the that the um, member state will pursue. Uh, so yeah, definitely uh, strategic plans in, is, is one of the main uh, thing uh, that we're going to look at in the next months. But what else? What else? What else is coming up on the menu, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, what's, and what's been interesting? Well, I mean, this has been, I think, a big year, in my opinion, for animal welfare. We've seen so much moving on the animal on, on animal welfare. Um, most recently, the End the Cage initiative, which was um, endorsed. So I think that's a really interesting area that I think we're going to see a lot more of. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things to be worked out here, um, you know, in terms of the support for the farming sector and how you can transition. Um, but this year, we've seen, yeah, End the Cage. We've seen bans or considerations on live exports of animals. Um, we've seen conversations over you know animal welfare standards imposed on imports and to do with trade and animal welfare um and also this ruling we had about stunning before slaughter to do with halal so i I think um it's been a big animal welfare year and i think it will continue to to be so um into the new year not the new year the new school year and speaking of animal welfare, there was also uh, a development this week. Uh, there was a discussion in the Agri-Fish Council over turkey welfare. Um, and this is basically about the idea that there is no, uh, there's no EU-wide minimum standards in turkey farming. And this is something that we spoke with Sarah Vina about, uh, Green MEP Sarah Vina, and this is what she had to say. The turkey is the third most slaughtered animal in the EU. It means we don't speak about 1,000 turkeys or 10,000 turkeys or 1 million. We speak about 190 millions of turkeys who were slaughtered every year in the EU. So it's the third slaughtered animal in the EU, and there are not EU standards, minimum standards for turkeys. Can you imagine this? So uh, I think this is a huge problem. Um, nobody wants to eat these poor animals and uh, nobody, nobody is the lawyer for turkeys, but there is an EU standards in Austria. Uh, normally, turkeys, they say one square meter, they can have 60 or 70 kilos, 
per square meter. And in Austria, it's, uh, they made a level from 40 kilos for a square meter. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say it's not idle, okay. <laughs> but it's better than every other country in the EU. And mm -hmm. Austria showed that they can survive economically with this standard and uh, should be um, the proof that the other countries in, uh, in Europe could have the same standard. The information note to this initiative wants to see mandatory husbandry requirements for turkey farming based on up-to-date scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. This is very uh, important because we don't speak about feelings, uh, moral ethics. I speak about uh, personally, but mm -hmm. in the parliament we speak about uh, up-to-date um, scientific knowledge and latest scientific research and experiences. And if we look at this point, we have the evidence, the scientific evidence that we can change and we have to change this system. And uh, so it's not about feelings, it's about hard scientific facts. Since you, since you man, mentioned the uh, end of cage initiative, uh, just mm. to um, uh, flag out the fact that uh, there was a, a council meeting, uh, an yeah. EU council meeting, uh, namely a gathering of uh, EU agriculture ministers, mm. and they uh, had a first uh, round of uh, you know, exchanging views um, on the end of cage, it was the first time that the ministers uh, will uh, uh, put forward their, um, you know, takes, but also their concerns about uh, this uh, initiative, uh, which we remember, um, we remember to our listener, it's basically an European citizens initiative. So basically it came from um, the EU citizens, they gathered uh, 1.4 million uh, signatures uh, and they basically, the, the proponent of this initiative, uh, called for a transition to a cage-free farming system and recently the commission two weeks ago uh, accepted, let's say accepted, but it actually committed to deliver these uh, requests by um, by citizens and they're gonna um, present a legislative initiative by the end of uh, 2023. Uh, so basically it, it, still in this uh, commission mandate. That's why it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something interesting. Uh, at, at the same time, uh, we basically noticed a bit of difference between, you know, the the how it was received by the European Parliament and how it was received by the ministers. So basically the two lawmakers that will, that will, uh, um, that will um, approve or not the legislative initiative. So the, the European Parliament, the reception was very positive. While ministers, they agreed on the general ambition but still, they, they had some concerns, particularly uh, when it comes to, of course, the need of the impact assessment. Again, the commission is committed to do this uh, 
uh, impact assessment. The famous impact assessment. Yeah, the impact the impact assessment it's is another. For everything. Is, yeah, is the is the is the words actually the words of the school year uh, because I mean impact assessment is always the solution because. You know, <laughs> Um, but for instance, they also highlight the need for providing financial incentives because otherwise the burden of this transition will be on uh, on farmers' shoulders only. Again, the Commission recalled that there are some uh, some uh, funds, EU funds, in the the, the next uh, cultural policy on this because it's, it's of course an animal welfare is considered an, an uh, uh, environmentally friendly. Uh, agriculture practice. But for instance, Finland, the Finnish minister, Jari Lepp, um, suggested the possibility uh, to have other subsidies, subsidies other than the common agricultural policy in line with state aid guidelines, which is, which is super interesting because there's, there will be actually a reform of the current state aid uh, system uh, that we presented in uh, October to be conf- confirmed. And I recall to our listener that uh, the state aid competence is no longer in the hand of DG Agri, but uh, of course, state aid in the agricultural sector, but it basically came in the end uh, in the hands of um, DG Comp, so DG mm-hmm. Competition Vestai, which is, is a, a quite relevant uh, change. And that means that we're going to have a look in October at the new guidelines on state, state aid. Also considering the fact that, I mean, the, the funds to, for the transition in the cap couldn't be enough. So that's why uh, state aid uh, becomes a, a, an interesting uh, topic. But yeah, you, you were saying, uh, Tash, absolutely, you're right. I think that... Uh, it was the year of uh, animal welfare. That's true. Mm. At the same time, there was also another um, much-awaited. Uh, it wasn't a legislative initiative, but uh, a study, which mm. w- was the one on gene gene editing. I was just about to say, uh, as you were talking about impact assessments, and indeed, <laughs> indeed, that is the segue straight into it. <laughs> How it went? This uh, impact assessment was uh, well received. Uh, yeah, well, it depends on depends did on it sort who out was receiving anything. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was quite divisive. Well, no, I know it was divisive, very controversial. Um, yes, yeah, so there was this study, long-awaited study by the European Commission um, uh, on new genomic techniques, uh, which concluded that the current legal framework governing these techniques is insufficient. And basically indicated that a new policy instrument should be considered um, to get the benefits of this technology. So the study didn't question the legal ruling. The legal ruling we're talking about was back in um, 2018, the uh, ruling that gene edited organisms or new genomic techniques should, in principle, fall under the GMO directive. Um, so the commission study doesn't question that, doesn't say, you know, doesn't go against the legal ruling, but it does say that, you know, developments in biotechnology, um, that there's some regulatory uncertainty around this, um, and basically gives some strong indications that the current legislation is not fit for purpose. So it was controversial. So I think it's safe to say, um, and paves the way for some very interesting discussions, I would say on gene editing. And not least because um, the EU's former members and uh, neighbours, the UK, they are 
upping their game when it comes to gene editing, shall we say. I mean, it was part of when they moved away from the EU, they were talking about reaping the benefits of biotechnology and new technologies. And just yesterday, um, I'm recording this on Friday, so just this week, um, the UK government released this statement about seizing opportunities after Brexit to unleash innovation um, by overhauling red tape, which is their words. And part of this, they were saying that the UK will move away from the EU's, and this I'm quoting this as well, the excessive use of the precautionary principle inherited in the UK. And instead, they're going to move towards this proportionality principle um, in their regulatory framework. So I think that screams to me biotechnology. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a very, very interesting development and discussion to follow to see what the UK is doing, to see what impact that will have to do with trade between the two, if they're not on a level a level playing field when it comes to this, and also to see, you know, on the EU side, what's it going to do in the aftermath of this study um, on this incredibly controversial topic. It's actually, it's very interesting what you say, uh, because it's, uh, it's a further evidence that uh, um, what happened in this year is linked to what will happen in uh, in the next one again school year yeah. uh, as, because I mean we're basically uh, having a review of what what happened and we having for each topic we having something happened this week as a reference like it's true. Uh, the end yeah. of cage and now the um, what happened in the UK yesterday yeah. so it's uh, it's interesting and actually quite. It's it's uh, exciting and but also challenging because it, it's uh, particularly for us, not us as, as journalists, but people interested in these topics, uh, to to keep try. It really needs um, um, a full time coverage in the sense that you really need to follow up on. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. But I mean, in general, for for yeah, incidentally, you need to follow your active, but. Um, um it it also it, it's becoming a bit complicated to follow all this stuff because you mm. basically miss one thing and it's like uh you know uh it's like it's like you, you it's like you miss the whole picture or it it becomes mm. more difficult to see the whole picture if you miss one particular little parts yeah you need all the pieces of the puzzle which is our job where we come in trying yeah. to put them all together <laughs> For instance, that's um, that's another a good example. Uh, one thing that we um, covered quite uh, a lot uh, was actually the impact that the U EU.S. election would have had on the agri-food sector in Europe. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, we can say we, in the end, we were right because we really see a change of tack in the relation between uh, the US and the EU. Definitely. Uh, again, just to mention something happened <laughs> this week. This week, yeah. <laughs> the Agriculture Secretary uh, of the uh, Biden's administration had a lunch, a virtual uh, lunch, of course, uh, with the ministers in the Agri-Fish Council. And last week, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, uh, he was basically uh, heard by the member of the European Parliament, the Agriculture Committee, which is something, I mean, uh, we couldn't have imagined something like that for for his pre predecessor, no? Mm. 
and um and it, w- it was in the air i mean we we kind of um love love yeah well. <laughs> Lo- love between between the us and the year um love is a strong word a thawing of relations shall we say <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um yeah yeah basically um trade could also be uh, it it has been uh, important in the agri-food agenda uh but it could even uh, it could be even more important in the in the um, next months as as uh, uh natasha was mentioned um there are a lot of of debates ongoing on how to avoid the externalization of the current problematic uh, um the uh, the european union wants to cope with with the farm to fork strategy for instance emissions i mean we we're going to ask uh, european farmers to reduce emissions and they need to avoid uh, the, the the european union the european commission want to avoid that these um bad practices are externalized uh mm-hmm. so this could be and uh, natasha was mentioning something on animal welfare no uh, it's the same yeah. how to this is actually a huge uh challenge for the future so uh ensure that um even imported products could have the same very high environmental standard which is something that already happened uh like 20 years ago with food safety when the european union started to approve very strict food safety um yeah. rules and okay. we had the same basically we had the same uh, discussion so how we uh, will be sure that uh, even other will basically meet the the high standards on food safety and we, we're going to have the same uh path or the same uh, uh the same debates uh, uh on this uh, when it comes to the environment uh, sustainability definitely what mm-hmm. else uh Tash? well something else has happened this week <laughs> believe it or not uh, no, well last week i suppose um you know, we've seen over the last week or so um, absolute devastation in the agricultural sector and other sectors with the flooding that we've seen in um, various places, um, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Luxembourg. Um, we've also had fires. Um, earlier this year, we had that horrific frost. Um, now there's also warnings of hail coming in France um, and also some warnings of potential um potential disruption when it comes to seasonal workers for the harvest um, coming up um, after after summer. And so I think it's safe to say, I mean, the agri sector has taken a bit of a beating this year, as many sectors have. But in terms of these natural disasters that we're seeing increasing, increasingly, um, you know, the topic, the the discussion is going to turn increasingly to resilience and how we can improve the resilience of the sector. And, you know, these situations with with these natural disasters, with flooding, with frost, with fires, all these crises, it's just going to get worse and worse, you know, with climate change. So um, definitely this was a key theme of the Slovenian presidency. Um, I had an interview with the Slovenian agricultural minister who who basically said that, you know, crisis resilience and building building this resilience against crisis is the main, one of the main priorities of the Slovenian presidency. And this is something that we're going to have to focus on much much more um and you know it's really a reality of of now it's not we're not talking about in the you know preparing for future um you know between these natural disasters and plus obviously covid the covid pandemic um you know this is really a discussion for for now and not for tomorrow 
Um, so that's going to be something that I think is going to be a key theme as well coming up. Yeah, it's true. And also because, I mean, um, there's a bit of, a, of uh, an abuse of the, of the uh, sentence or, or the combination of words which is the perfect storm. But yeah, sometime wow. uh, we could actually, I mean, perfect storm also because of the weather condition. But um, mm. um, for instance, again, something that was mentioned at the beginning of the week in the, during the Agrifish Council um, this week was the high prices of um, feed uh, for mm. uh, livestock, basically. This is putting pressure on a, a, um, a sector which is the livestock sector already hit by the pandemic the closure of uh, of the oreca sector um, and uh, certain behavior put in place by trade partners like uh, china mm. um, the us uh, for instance in china it's, it's it's not it's not a behavior but actually there's a, a current problem with pig meat that is influencing the prices of pig meat uh, at the at the global level. So uh, these member states are basically experienced. Uh, many member states: Spain, Latvia, Croatia. Uh, they're experiencing an increase between twenty five and sixty percent in uh, in uh, in the price in the market price of the animal feed. And mm. consider that uh, it is estimated that. The cost of feed for livestock, uh, for livestock accounts for up to eighty percent of the total cost that uh, that uh, you know for, for livestock farmers, and and this is particular and this will particularly affect dairy, um, the dairy sector. No, so again, mm -hmm. um, this crisis are not only uh, you know not only tragic in the sense that uh, you know they happen. You cannot really predict you can imagine that something could happen because of the weather condition um of the worst of the worsening of the extreme weather condition but uh they have this uh unfortunately they have this uh capacity to be interlinked and to increase the and create this perfect storm uh so that's why it's another uh, thing to um uh, keep an eye on mm. and very briefly other other things uh that were interesting too there's plenty week. of things it's plenty of things plenty there, of there, things. <laughs> i don't know about this week but a theme that i mean it's your pet your pet theme gerardo <laughs> that we're definitely going to revisit again after summer if the hub is still standing um and that's something we've covered very intensively this year on nutritional labeling. Ah, yeah, labeling in general. Because or labeling in general. Actually, labeling in general isn't probably. There's much a newcomer, more. which is the. There's, there's several newcomers. Eco score, no? yeah. Yeah. Um, or new, eco score line. New kid on the block. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much yeah. to write about. Yeah, that there will be there will be a lot to to talk about this because I mean we we are um, approaching the the showdown, which would be basically. Um, the launch of this initiative from the Commission on yeah. the new EU-wide labeling scheme. Again, at the moment, we don't know what to expect. Expect uh, the tensions are high. Tension, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I, I would say that um, the opponents of the NutriScore are uh, actually playing a very good. Um, 
uh, a very good game. Uh, it's not it's not that obvious because, for instance, Italians are famous for basically caring of what's happening in the EU when a legislation is already approved. <laughs> this is uh, this is what we say normally in Italy. Uh, and this Closing time, the door after the horse is bolted. Is yeah, the phrase, yeah, yeah. The phrase that springs to mind. Uh, this time, Italians, but also um, part of the Spanish uh, food and drink sector, Greece, uh, they 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 really playing a, a good uh, lobbying game. Let's say. Yeah. So we will see what could happen. Um, and also, since we are, we're actually mentioning what's coming next, no? unless you mm-hmm. want to, to mention something. Oh, there'll be plenty of other things. Make sure, make sure you follow your active for all the, <laughs> no. for all the extra fun. No, but I think we hit the main. Yeah. But where are you so going? So f- what to expect? Hmm. So first of all, um, we already mentioned the strategic plans. Uh, yes. Very interesting. Uh, we didn't mention Brexit. I uh, know we actually mentioned Brexit in the sense of the biotech. We, yeah. But expect uh, something on Brexit too, because I mean we we kind of understood mm-hmm. that uh, food is one of the of the contentious issue between the two. A new, I mean, I wouldn't say former allies. I mean, uh, f- New Gosh. allies, no, new trade partners. New, new trade partners. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. very diplomatic. Yeah, but there are also um, there are also some. There's something in in the pipeline that it's more specific, like the soil strategy. Uh, there mm. will be um, in December this uh, restoration, deforestation, and so, which will be a follow up on of the fifty for fifty five. Um, presented last week and there would be in this context the soil strategy which would won't be a legislative initiative but more uh, a communication from the commission uh, but still it's something uh, something mentioned worthy yeah yeah definitely at the same time in December again uh, there will also be um, a package on the sustainable products and consumption with the proposal for a regulation on uh, uh, basically environmental claims uh, on, on products, you know, um, products that use these environmental claims like uh, uh, environmental footprint and so on. This is also mm. interesting. The, the so-called mm. green claims. I know that uh, actually Natasha covered quite a lot the healthy claim. So it's... Yeah. Uh, it's it's also um, the other side of of the um, the problem, and then we also have uh, uh, I mentioned this ah the carbon farming initiative, which is scheduled by the end of the year. Uh, oh, yes, excited about this one. Yeah, and uh, of course, starting starting from um, January twenty twenty two. We're going to have the uh, entry into force of the new organic regulation. This is another aspect. And uh, I'd say that, uh, yeah, there's also probably there will be the contingency plan for ensuring food supply and food security, which is something uh, included in the farm to fork uh, to, uh, again, consider the food security issue. 
particularly in time of crisis. And um, you know, improving the response of the EU in the agricultural sector uh, when it yeah. comes to crisis, and to, to ensure, of course, the food um, security. So not so much a menu, so much as an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah, that's a good analogy. And speaking of the cap and uh, issues to be resolved on the cap, so one of the big uh, bones of contention in the cap reform negotiations was over social conditionality. So that's this idea of um, tying funds to uh, upholding workers' conditions and workers' rights. Um, And actually, we spoke to also looking to the future of how to... um, how to monitor this and how to look at this and make sure that farmers are complying with workers' rights and also really looking in a very futuristic um, method to do so. We spoke with Professor Doreen Boyd from the University of Nottingham about a project she's been working on in Greece. There's also a lot of issues in the agricultural sector when it comes to labour exploitation. Um, and, you know, so I understand that you and your team have been working on um, the power of satellite technology to try and help tackle this labour exploitation on farms in Greece. So maybe could you explain a little bit, um, you know, what you did and, and how this technology helped with this? We've been really excited by the uh, traction that we, we've gained in uh, in Greece. And I think it's a really good example of uh, how um, what we call Earth observation data, so um, satellite data, sort of imagery uh, type data that uh, we will see on, on, on Google Earth, and thinking about how that could be used um, in particular for the agricultural sector beyond, beyond Greece. But Greece has been a really good uh, testing ground for us because we've got that the link with the special rapporteur for uh, um, human trafficking and also with uh, non-governmental organisations on the ground. But essentially, the the situation in Greece was there's a, a small area um, in Greece that grows uh, strawberries. Um, and you know that that's absolutely fine, but it's uh, very labour intensive to to pick the uh, strawberries um, once they're they're ripe. Now we know that the last five years or so uh, we've seen a massive influx in 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 migration um, into into Europe. And uh, many of those migrants have settled in Greece, but uh, aren't there um, officially. And so what that leads to is a um, sort of situation where exploitation um, can occur. So migrants have to live live somewhere and, and they've been living in, in and around the, these uh, strawberry uh, farms and the strawberry fields. Um, and, and they've been living in makeshift um, um, accommodation, um, which are visible uh, to uh, the satellite um, uh, that are orbiting. So... In 2013, there was a particular incident um, that led to Greece actually being cautioned by the Court of uh, Human Rights in 2017 and told to up their game in terms of um, looking after and protecting uh, the migrants in terms of uh, preventing exploitation. So... um, that, that obviously is a, an issue for, for uh, resources. How do you, you know, in limited uh, resources, uh, uh, in a limited resources world, think, you know, monitor where these migrants might be settling um, and then to, to make sure that they're being uh, looked after uh, as much as uh, is possible and not being exploited. 
So working with the uh, particular NGO um, and the special rapporteur, we basically said, well, if we can see these structures where migrants are, are, are living, then we can tell you exactly where you need to go to make sure that everything um, is okay. And so that is exactly what we did. We, we use the satellite imagery, um, different types of uh, imagery which have different characteristics to produce a map of where the, the migrants were, were settled. Um, and it's much easier to do that from above than it is from, say, a road, because um, um, often migrants are living in, in areas that are, that, that are hidden. They don't want to be seen uh, because they might not have uh, these, you know, the official papers uh, and, and so on. Um, so what that allowed us to do is then tell the NGOs where to go in order to um, ask questions around uh, migrant welfare um, and their working conditions as well as their living condition. Um, and that was all fed into what we call a multi-criteria decision analysis. Um, and that, that model, uh, resultant model, helps uh, NGOs, governments um, and other organisations to prioritise where they might want to, to visit in terms of uh, you know, a depleted uh, resource environment, but being able to target exactly who might be might benefit more from having some um, help or, or, or intervention. And it's a way of showing then that a particular government or particular state uh, governance is actually doing all they can in order to, to meet the, uh, you know, the, the ILO conventions or the European Union um, laws around human, human rights. So um, you focus more on the, this aspect of the migrant ex- exploitation. But I want to ask if you think that this technology can also be, uh, let's say, easily transferred to other situations or, or to other kinds of uh, agriculture situation, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, yeah, the use of satellite technology within the agricultural sector is something that has uh, been going on uh, for, for many years now. And, and in fact, it was, it was the agricultural sector really that took up the, the sort of operationalization and, and commercialization of uh, using uh, such technology. So it's often used to predict the, the crop uh, yield uh, for a farmer or to... Um, tell the farmer which part of their, their fields or their land um, is suffering from, say, drought or, or nutrient depletion. Um, so that kind of thing in terms of maximising uh, the yield for a farmer, then this sort of technology has been used uh, a lot. In terms of the sort of humanitarian side of things within agriculture, I think this is uh, the, the first time that we've seen that kind of uh, meeting of minds um, and uh, the consideration of where this might go in the future. Yeah, and we're always talking about this kind of cross-collaboration, you know, cross-sectoral collaboration. So it's really interesting to bring these together. And I know you mentioned um, briefly, you know, some of the benefits, things like you can't necessarily see um, what's going on from the road, but you can from above. But I'm wondering what other benefits this kind of monitoring, the satellite monitoring could have compared to normal ways of kind of verifying um, labor exploitation on farms on the ground 
presumably it involves, you know, in-person visits. Um, for example, I'm kind of wondering, um, you know, what are the costs associated with this technology? Many of the countries where we see a lot of um, labor exploitation are countries that maybe are not economically super strong. So I'm wondering kind of what costs are involved and what the benefits are of using um, this kind of technology. There are many sort of advantages of using Earth observation, um, one of which is that sort of monitoring ability. So, you know, there are um, Earth observation satellites that will give you daily um, imaging um, of a particular area if that's what you wanted, or but you'd have to pay for that particular um, technology Whereas if you didn't need daily, but you needed, say, weekly monitoring, then actually there's satellites um, that are orbiting that will that you can download the imagery for free. Um, and so the European Union, well, the European Space Agency, have been a very big advocate of that. So open source data. So what that then leads you to is is nil cost in terms of, uh, of data, uh, but then obviously you need some sort of uh, um, sort of technical expertise there to be able to extract the the intelligence that you need from that data. But in fact, once you've trained um, you know an algorithm or computational model what to look for, then that sort of thing can be automated, um, and then you have a work stream that uh, that is. Um, operating in the background. And more and more um, countries now will have a some sort of space agency or environmental agency that will have experts in, in Earth observation. And so I think what we need to start thinking about is actually not Earth observation just for sort of environmental applications, which is what it had tended to be, uh, but think about what... Um, Earth observation can do on the humanitarian and particular the, the, the modern slavery, uh, labor exploitation side of things. And that's what we're really keen to, to shout about and to get organizations uh, thinking about that those people who have been trained up to look at, you know, loss of trees uh, from space could easily then transfer that knowledge um, to uh, a particular situation that's um, akin to, to modern slavery or labour exploitation, um, and in this case, within the agricultural sector. And uh, one of the most contentious part of the common agricultural policy, so the EU's farming subsidies uh, programme, uh, is the introduction of this concept, uh, which is the social conditionality. So basically, um, the disbursement of the funds will depend on the respect of uh, certain uh, labor rights, actually the basic labor rights. But there were a large part of the objections from, uh, from member states, uh, which was basically over the cost and the energy, you know, the, the, the efforts in the farm checks and visits. So do you think that this, you know, the use of this satellite um, and, and also this technology uh, like you did in this way, could help with ensuring uh, farmers uh, complying with workers, worker rights uh, as set out in this reform of the, the common agricultural policy? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. I think there are several things that need to be considered here. Um, in the Neo Manalada um, example, we knew 
uh, that the um, the work of the migrants were living in particular um, structures, and basically what they were using was the um, those uh, sort of greenhouses, you know, the plastic greenhouses. They they were taking those from the fields and and they were making uh, makeshift uh, camps uh, with those. So if you have that kind of situation again, where there is a, if you like, a physical indicator of where people are, um, then what you're doing is literally mapping and counting where those physical structures are um, and then using that to get one an idea of how many how many people are in a in a particular area and then if you cross refer that to the the, the crop yield in an area then you start to get a picture of, of what's going on you know how can this crop yield uh, be produced if you've only got these number of people? Um, you know, X and Y equals Z, that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, what's really important is to have that ground uh, element as well, or the ground segment. So you you would need a, a, a local partner um, or even a local government to then go visit particular sites that you've mapped to get that what we call sort of ground truthing an idea that okay what we can see on the satellite image equals this and that this is what we can see on the ground and then you start to build a picture up of, of what's going on on the ground and then that can lead you then to looking for more things in in the imagery because of course the the earth observation data the imagery data it's just a load of numbers um, so you need that um sort of ground intelligence to understand what those numbers actually mean. And then the next step is with the ground intelligence, what that means then for um, trying to prevent uh, any labour exploitation or, you know, obviously in the first place to sort of give you a risk score. Ah, this particular site may well be um, somewhere to go to go visit to to, to understand what, what what's going on. So... Absolutely. There's that transferability from what we've done in Greece to to other uh, member states. It's just getting that idea of what we need to look for in the imagery. Once you've got that, then the rest of it's pretty pretty straightforward because the satellite data we have now is is really rich in terms of what you can see. Um, I'm sure everyone's looked at their you know that where they live on on Google on Google Earth, it's that kind of resolution of data that that we were using for this uh, particular study. That's great, thank you so much. I, it's absolutely fascinating to hear, uh, you know, how this kind of technology is being used. It's um, really really quite incredible. So that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, the Euractive AgriFood podcast was produced by Euractive's AgriFood news team. That's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote with the technical support of our podcast producer, Evie Kiori. And you can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. That's Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and have a great summer break. <laughs>